So here's my opening story. I, I opened a message that I did about five years ago. It was about Pharaoh's hard heart. And I thought, hmm, five years ago. That's a long time. I bet I probably had one good thing to say in that at least. And so, you know, and it's been like, it's, it's been kind of a rough week. I've been traveling and all over the place. And I thought even if, even if uh, no one remembers what I said, uh, I, there's, there's a probability that I can draw something out that'll be a recyclable message for this week's Torah portion for Viera. I'll save myself some, some really hard work. And we're getting into the plagues and Pharaoh's hard heart, and it's really a good opportunity. So I read it. I opened it. I read it. Guess what? I didn't agree with it. <laughs> Five years later in reading, I didn't agree with myself. I was at odds with myself. And I'm thinking to myself, only in Messianic Judaism, right? Like we study, we learn, we grow, we discuss, we change our perspective so that we don't even agree with what we believed five years ago or thought or worse yet, said. It reminds me of my mentor, a mentor, a very beloved man in my life named Mac Goddard. He's a evangelist, Calvinist, fundamentalist, small-town preacher. He was the pastor of this church who gave us this building. But Mac was very witty and really didn't care a lot about what people thought about him, which I really, really appreciated. But he had these things called Goddardism. I call them Goddardisms because they've stuck with me. I remember being in services one time at his church and he said something, and Scott, he said, you guys are looking at me funny. And he said, well, here's the deal. 50% of what I'm saying up here is probably wrong. <laughs> the problem is, I don't know which 50%. <laughs> he was humble. I learned a lot about humility from him. But So believe it or not, even though I thought I had this incredible opportunity to recycle something, I had to start over and create some new thing. But the good news is, I agree with it. <laughs> For now. For now. But you know, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing that I didn't agree with myself. It's, I just have a different perspective. We call that progressive revelation sometimes. Uh, learning new perspectives. That's what we do. Perspectives that might, just might, cause you to alter a cemented belief that you had prior in your life, and that's not all bad. So here goes this new and hopefully enlightening stuff from Parsha Vieira. It made me think. I hope it will for you, too. There's a question. By the way, if you haven't read Parsha Vieira, this is chapter 6 of the book of Exodus. starts in chapter uh, verse 2. You'll need to, for context, you can follow along if you want, but here's my question. We're moving into the plagues and the exodus, and it's already in full bloom. Why? Why did this happen? Why 
did the plagues, the, the parting of the Red Sea, Passover, all of it. Why? God is God. He could have taken Pharaoh out in one swing. That could have been the end of it. He could have just put him out. He could have, speaking of out, he could have taken Israel out easily, restored them to the land. His people live happily ever after, but God takes the long road. By the way, the Shalom Macon newsletter will be out soon. Dr. Higginbotham contrib contributed an article, a teaching to that. You'll notice when you read his article, speaking of the long road, this is not a short journey. It's not like the plagues happened in seven, ten, ten days, and they were over. We're talking about a long time that this went on. So why? Why did God do it that way? Why the major production? Why the exodus? What was the goal? Now, it's a bit of a misleading question because there's, there's more than one. But, but just, I want to hear some. Why do you think... God chose to do it this way. What was the primary story behind the Exodus? What happened? Why? Why did he do it? Destroy their gods. Destroy their gods. That's one. David, I saw your lips moving. I'm not good at it. Okay, that's good. What was it? These are good answers. They're correct answers, which makes it better. Good stuff. And I want to, there, there are a lot of reasons. And the good news is, though, that God actually gives us a pretty good blueprint for the reason in the Torah text. So see if you agree with this. Chapter 2, he remembered the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He looked upon the Israelites, he heard their groaning. So there's a covenantal obligation. God has a fidelity, he has a, an obligation to the covenant that he made. In Exodus 3, he says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. He will only do it because of a greater might that will influence him. So we know then Pharaoh will not listen, he'll need to be motivated. That brings it into focus a little bit. And then we begin to see the mechanics, the, the, why of the why of the mechanics of the Exodus. In 7 it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and marvels in the land. And the effect of that will be that the Egyptians shall know that I am Hashem. Here we see the sacred name of God. Yud and He and Vav and He, the name re revealed to, to Moses at the burning bush. And then stated very plainly in chapter 9, Moses is speaking to Pharaoh. God is saying to him, I could have stretched forth my hand and stricken you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been effaced from the earth. Nevertheless, for this reason, I have let you survive. What is that reason? to show you my strength so that my name will be declared throughout all the earth. Nehemiah followed that up and said something, that you, you knew they acted arrogantly, and you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And there is one more purpose, at least, that we find in 10, Exodus 10, that's next week's Parsha. 
He says to, the, to Israel that you may recount in the hearing of your child and of your child's child how I made a mockery of the Egyptians, how I displayed my signs among them, in order that you may know that I am Hashem. This is the blueprint. So a main purpose which was said in this room for the reason and the, the, the mechanics and the way the exodus happened in this longer process was so that the world may know. And Pharaoh actually started this thing. He articulated this in such a powerful way. He said, who is this God? I don't know him. And through all this, now you know. That's what he's saying. All the Egyptians, Pharaoh needed to know, the Egyptians needed to know, and Israel needed to know, who had been held down in servitude for centuries. They would know now beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was the God who was, who is, who will be. He's acting in these supernatural ways that no one has ever seen before. And that the idolatrous nation of Egypt, their prideful leader, they were going to be the tools through which God would make himself known. Israel was going to be the people through whom God would make himself known. And all of those pieces fit together. Awesome. Totally awesome. Agree with that? But we got a problem. Two, actually. Two. Not with what I presented, but with the way he did it. And here it comes. The critic of God's favorite argument. It's not fair. I want to do a series called the It's Not Fair series. Of all the things that God does that people don't understand, have no idea the backstory, and jump to the conclusion that it's not fair. But here is this thing. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It seems, when you read it, that Pharaoh was ultimately at some point going to be good and do the right thing as the plagues progressed. If he had no chance to resist this, then that makes God vindictive. It makes him unfair. It, it, it makes him a thief of the precious free will that we're supposedly so powerfully endowed with. Furthermore, Second problem, if this were Pharaoh's problem and his hard heart, why did so many Egyptians have to die? Why so many innocent people to suffer because of this? Why did he allow them to be hurt? Why did he stack the odds? How is this a fair fight? And anyone who wants to dislike, discredit God can find ammunition right here. In the plain reading... It's not fair. It clearly says he hardened his heart and a lot of innocent people died. Even a child can read this story and ask those questions. Mommy, how could he have made any other choice? But as things go, so many things, you must see behind the story, and in it you will often uncover the things of God that you didn't know. So let me explain what's behind this alliterative statement, a complicit culture of conceit. It starts at the top. 
It starts, as I mentioned, in 5, chapter 5 with Pharaoh, when these two humble guys, the shepherd and the slave, right? Moshe and Aharon, the shepherd and the slave, approach Pharaoh. God told us to tell you to let us go. And I already told you Pharaoh's answer. You'll remember it. This is before God has anything to do with Pharaoh's heart in chapter 5. Pharaoh said, Who is Hashem that I should heed him and let Israel go? I don't know Hashem, nor will I let Israel go. And now it's on. Because now we got ourselves... Now we got a topic. Now we got, it's not even just a challenge to Moses and Aaron. It's really a challenge to God himself, isn't it? Who is this? I don't know you. And if that's true, which I doubt, but if it's true, could that be held against him? You're telling me to do something in the name of, I, I don't know who that is. But that's not really the way he presents it. But could it be held against him? No, but okay, God accepts the challenge. You don't know me? Okay, let's do this. And it's on. And in concert with the great goal of the Exodus we identified, God making his name known, God simply sets out to answer that question. You want to know me? You're going to know me. And the plagues begin. And without going into a great detail on the plagues. I want you to recognize that for the first five plagues of ten, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. That word hardens is not as simple as you might read it in English, especially as we move into the sections later in this Parsha and next week where God begins to do the hardening. But I want you to understand that this word, which is simply often translated harden, is more than one word in the Hebrew text when you read it. It has, there are different words, and one meaning will be applied here, and another meaning will be applied here, even though in English we're reading harden. And here's what I mean. One thing Pharaoh does is from the word kaved, which means heavy. It means stubborn. Some translations say Pharaoh made his heart heavy. Stubborn, dug in, difficult to move. And it makes sense. If you imagine something heavy, it's set in its ways. It's hard to move it. Kaved. That's one of the, the, the meanings. The other times we see the word chazak. Pharaoh, you'll read in translations, strengthened his heart. Other times it just says hardened his heart. But we say after we've completed a Torah book every time, we say, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Hazek, strengthen us, strengthen us, and let us be strengthened. So we have this, this meaning that sometimes he was stubborn and immovable and heavy, and other times he strengthened his resolve for the path that he was on. It's different, but it's similar. But in both of those usages, six of the seven plagues we're going to encounter this week, Pharaoh does the hardening with both words. But at some point, 
God takes over. What Pharaoh's demonstrating, by the way, is something called pride, conceit, an overblown, excessive pride in oneself, abilities, talents, knowledge, power. So God takes over at boils. This is plague six, where we read, but the Lord, little parentheses in many of your translations with a little note, little letter to reference another word. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them just as the Lord spoken, had spoken to Moses. Here we go. What's going on here? Is that fair? Is that fair? Does that fall into the critic's accusation? Again, we need to understand the word and the meaning. There is a traditional interpretation that I wrestled with for, I don't know, a few times, years maybe, and sort of rejected, I guess. But after seeing it and studying it, and this is probably the reason I didn't give you a five-year-old message, was because I've come to see the merit in something that Judaism identified long ago. And it has to do, again, with the purpose we've already identified of making God's name great. This begins with an internal recognition of the greatness of God. This is an inside-of-you kind of realization. An acknowledgement, an admission to oneself that God is real, that he's big, that he's powerful, that he's capable, that he's Adon Olam. He is the master of the universe. This begins inside of us. It's where it comes from. Now listen carefully. In every instance we see, well, nearly every instance we see of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, you need to pay attention to the word that's used. Chazak. That God strengthens his resolve. Chazak. That's not the actual word, that's the root. We'll find that he is strengthening his heart. Now let me tell you why that matters in accordance with Jewish interpretation. It's particularly relevant, actually, this first time we see God do this. The first time God moves, it's to strengthen Pharaoh's heart in the act of putting these boils on as the plague all over everyone. We see that it says, V'chazek Hashem et lev paro. He strengthened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he heart of, of Paro, and he hearkened not to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This is the first plague where Pharaoh is actually truly afflicted. Truly afflicted in his, in his being. I mean, the frogs, we talk about the frogs going into God's people. But these boils and sores and painful things were on Pharaoh. He was in pain, in discomfort. And it would be normal at this point to relent because you were in physical pain. You got to listen to me carefully on this one. If someone is twisting your arm behind your back or slicing your finger with a knife and dipping it in battery acid one by one, guess what? You might be driven to relent to whatever it is they want, to say, acknowledge that I'm a God. Psst. Ah! 
You're a God. I didn't hear you. Let's do the other finger. Ah. With enough pain. But that is not the goal for God of a forced conversion, of a forced acknowledgement, it, it, of a forced, uh, because I'm hurting, I'll do whatever you say. What he wants is for Pharaoh to, from the inside out, acknowledge. Wow. God is God. To know in his heart that he is God. Pharaoh must know God's name, his attributes and power, his sovereignty from the inside, not from the out. And to relent from physical discomfort, that's easy. So the text uses the words, God made his heart strong. He strengthened his resolve. What does that mean? It means that God made him able to bear the pain of what was happening to him at this moment. Why? So that he could ultimately come to his own conclusions apart from pain and struggle like that. And another plague comes along. He cannot be influenced by physical pain, but instead inspired by spiritual desire. Why? Because God is asking him to make my name great. Acknowledge me for the right reasons. So for five plagues, Pharaoh stubbornly resisted. On the sixth plague of boils, God strengthens his heart. And then the seventh plague comes along. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Not only is it hail, it's also fire. God is demonstrating these natural opposites. How can this possibly be? Pharaoh, do you see this? I've kept you here. To be able to see this, you didn't relent for the wrong reasons. Look at this. And then in chapter 9, as I said before, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says it so plainly. Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, Moses says, tells you, send free my people that they may serve me. Indeed, this time I will send all my blows upon your heart and against your servants and against your people so that you may know that there is none like me throughout the land. Indeed, I could have struck you. I could have sent out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. You would have been effaced. However, just on account of this, I have allowed you to withstand to make you see my power. And in order that they might recount my name throughout all the land, but you still set yourself up. So here's the seventh plague. But God is saying, dude, come on. It's been bad so far, but I'm preparing to send everything I've got on you. You've been allowed to stand. I have not wiped you from the face of the earth because I want you to see it. I want you to acknowledge it, but you still won't let them go. And it's the next plague where the story truly shifts. The Parsha, our Parsha ends with the seventh plague. It's not a random division that the sages make. There's something very important there, which I'll touch on next week. But as this miracle plague comes along, we read these powerful words in chapter 9. Whoever had awe for the word of Hashem among Pharaoh's servants had his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. 
But whoever did not pay any mind to the word of Hashem left his servants and his livestock out in the field. I want you to recognize that and what's happening. The conceit, the pride, the people have begun to humble themselves and to be in awe of, it says, the word of God, the things, the actions, what's going on. And so people who are seeing and hearing and acknowledging bring their livestock in because they know this is the God of the universe we're messing with here. Not all. Some still had this incredible conceit. Now the magicians had already admitted Back before, they said, dude, this is the finger of God, as we said in Shakri. Holy phalanges, brother. <laughs> this is the finger of God. And now Pharaoh's servants, who I want you to understand, these are more than housekeepers. They didn't clean his clay pot toilet. These people were his advisors. They were close to him. These people are bringing in their livestock because they recognize and acknowledge this is a real thing. They have awe, I love that, it's, it says, Yurat Hashem, they have fear of the Lord, awe of God. In Egypt, the people. But at the top, it hasn't happened. Even though God has empowered him to stand through the pain of the boils, to get to this seventh plague, to have a sound mind, not coerced by physical pain, what does Pharaoh say? He sent and had Moshe and Aaron called and said to them, This time I have sinned. Hashem is the one in the right. I and my people are wrong. Plead with Hashem, for enough is the God thunder and this hail. Let me send you free. Do not continue staying here. So, right, he's got it. It worked. God strengthened his heart and he got it. So he calls him in and he says it. And Moses says, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll spread my hands to Hashem. The thunder will stop. The hail will be no more. In order, why? That you may have an answer to your question from chapter 5 that you may know that the land belongs to Hashem. But as for you and your servants, Moses says, he can see it, everyone can see it. I know well that you do not yet stand in fear before God. And sure enough, Pharaoh's next action saw that the rain and hail and the thunder had stopped, so he continued to sin. He made his heart heavy with stubbornness, his and his servants. There's the word kaved. And then right after that, it says, Pharaoh's heart remained strong-willed. He did not send the children of Israel free. There's the word chazak. So even after all of this, he is stubborn and strong. But God did it to him. Did he? God's done very little to this point to him. I told you why God strengthened his heart and actually will continue. Do the right thing for the right reason. Lose the pride. Lead the people in humility. Let the people go. It's not fair. Well, friends, it's on Pharaoh. It's obvious. It's on Pharaoh. 
Plague six, God strengthens his heart to make the right decision. And you know what? I believe he could have. At that very moment, I believe he could have. The message he receives from God, spoken through Moses. I read it to you. I brought you into the world, God says. Pharaoh, buddy, I can take you out. To quote someone, I can't remember. You're here because I want you here to do a work through you to make my name known. Now listen, God doesn't say you need to become an Israelite. You need to build me a temple in Egypt. You need to like start doing all these other things. You just need to acknowledge me and let my people go. And as I said, you're allowed to withstand to see my power in order that they might recount my name throughout the land. And again, contrary to some commentators, I believe fire and hail, there had to be some plagues, which I'll also touch on next week. There's a reason why there had to be some plagues. But right here was his ultimate chance. And the reality is this. God will let you go as far and fast away from him as you want to. But he creates an escape. In Judaism, we have a maxim that says he creates the cure before the wound. Paul said it this way, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Sometimes that means strengthening your heart that you can survive some physical test of difficulty. If you're willing to see it, the hard heart, better phrase, the strong heart that God gives is actually an opportunity for free will. It's giving Pharaoh the chance to be able to make the right decision. You know, I think of Judas, too. There was never a, ch- there was never a time when Yeshua, like, begged him to, to do something different. He actually said, whatever you're going to do, go do it. Do it quickly. It's like this guy had made the decision, and it was going to happen. And sometimes we do that. But Pharaoh asked the question, who is this God. I don't know him. Well, now you do. And whoever was willing to acknowledge could actually be saved for the right reason. Remember? All those who had awe for the word listened and brought their livestock in. We see that powerfully in Plague 10. But I will... Wrap us up here. God doesn't give us more than we can handle, but sometimes he does allow us to be in positions of challenge. He gives us what we need to survive. He strengthens our hearts for difficult choices and decisions. God allowed Pharaoh to be in power. He sustained him. He established him there. There was something that he could have done great you know, you remember Koresh? Koresh, this text, the Bible refers to Koresh, Cyrus, as a Mashiach, as a Redeemer, as a Savior. He was, a, he was an idolater, pagan, Cyrus. 
But he allowed the people to go. He let them go back to Egypt, I mean, to uh, Israel to rebuild. Pharaoh had an opportunity to be a hero. But he was the opposite. The power of pride, the power of conceit. And next week I'll touch on complacency. But the hardening of his heart was far from unfair. It was mercy, actually. It was an opportunity to make the right decision for the right reason. Strengthen his heart. Not a cheap escape for personal comfort or an opportunity for a relationship. And listen, Egypt actually, read, read Isaiah 19 later where it talks about the good that God's going to do in Egypt and how Egypt is actually going to, like these good things are going to happen. The Lord will make himself known to Egypt. The Egyptians will know the Lord and that day they will even worship with sacrifice and will make a vow to the Lord. Pharaoh had an opportunity. He just had to acknowledge it and God even strengthened him in that journey and he rejected it. So don't tell me it's not fair. Life's not fair, but God is fair. That hard-hearted Pharaoh dug his own grave. <clears throat> God knew. He had spoken to Abraham many, many years ago. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. This is a monumentally important text regarding our subject and the second reason for the Exodus and the plagues, and it has to do with the people. And next week, we'll discuss the complicit nation of Egypt and how dangerous that is for the people of God. Till then, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for connecting with Shalom Macon. If you would like a deeper connection, please visit us at shalommacon.org. And if your connection with Shalom Macon has been meaningful and enriched your life, please consider partnering with us to accomplish greater things for the kingdom. Visit shalommacon.org give to make either a one-time contribution or set up recurring giving. And thank you for being a builder, not a bystander.